powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Game Over Montreal. It's been a while, friends. Uh, it's been a full week, I think, since the last time I hosted this show. And uh, I guess it's been a week for Laura as well. <laughs> we have uh, Laura Saba, the active stick on Twitter, back on with us tonight. Uh, it's going to be a fun show, even though the game was pretty much a bore for for the entire thing. Unless you're an LA Kings fan, in which case the first period was absolutely wild and extremely exciting because they played fantastic. But uh, other than that, a really dull second period. Canadians kind of came to life at the end of the game there, as they are wont to do under Marty St. Louis, but they couldn't get the win. There's lots of stuff to talk about. Mike Hoffman returns, scores a goal in his return. I thought uh, Caden Gooley was somebody that we really need to talk about tonight. Evgeny Dadanov caught my eye for good and bad reasons. And, of course, Jake Allen, who uh, put forth another fantastic performance in this one. But before we bring Laura in, i got to tell you, you think you know the way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction, whether it's the World Cup, hockey, football, or basketball. Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. You want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com sdpn. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. All right, everyone. Uh, very excited to chat with you today, but very excited to chat with my guest, Laura Saba. Let's welcome her in. How are you, Laura? Hi. Thank you for having me uh, again on a Saturday night. Yeah, it's. We're, I was joking with you after the last show that I'm going to start calling you Miss Saturday Night. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll be on for a couple more shows coming up in the in the few, in the next few weeks on uh, Saturday nights as well. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, since Mister Saturday Night is, uh, you know, kind of embarrassing himself and in, in semi retirement, we got to replace with the <laughs> the better version here. You know, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. I talked about it on the Hockey Inside Out show, but I just don't know how much crossover there is between our audience. And that audience. So I've kind of said my piece on the whole carry price thing, but let's save that in the pocket there in case we need something to talk about. If this game was too boring, if if you're comfortable talking about it, Laura, I'm I'm perfectly okay with talking about it. Uh, but also, this game was almost something. And it was it almost something. It was almost something, and then it wasn't. No. But you know what? I was thinking as they were getting back in it and they got close to tying it. I was like, don't, don't, you need the high pick. It's time to start losing some of these games with like Matheson out, Monaghan out. They've got like everybody who's in the lineup is who's healthy. Like there's no scratches left, you know, like (laughs) just the Kings are a good team. Just lose it. Just lose this one. This is when you're allowed to lose. The only sad part to me is that they kind of wasted a phenomenal performance from Jake Allen, especially in the first period. Like, I don't know about you, Laura, but watching Jake Allen in that first period to me was like the best of Jake Allen in that he like kind of hunkers down and just becomes this crazy battler who's like flying around from side to side. He's making saves. The net's not even in front of him. He's out on the side, like almost outside of the, like behind the goal line. And he's like stopping pucks and you're like, wait, wait, get back in the net. And he somehow <laughs> does this, this scrambly. He almost looks like a, like a feral cat or something that's all over the place, tracking down pucks. Uh, I don't think he had much of a chance on either of the goals that went in in the first period. I thought he was fantastic. Oh, that third goal is something we're going to have to talk about. But, oh, God. Um, 
there are a lot of things broke down in that one. But I, yeah, I agree with you. There's this intensity and determination to his game um, where, you know, we talked about early in the season, he was playing really well. And then he kind of fell off a cliff, a very steep cliff. You know, uh, he was struggling a lot. But you know what I'm not seeing is last year, there was a lot of issues with his puck tracking. And this year, I'm not seeing that. And that was something where, again, I'm not a goalie expert. Uh, we do have some friends who are, uh, and I'm sure, Andrew, you're going to have them on over the course of this season. But the puck tracking was not there. Like, even even somebody who's kind of like, I'm, I'm not a casual observer of the game. I'm definitely a more intense observer of the game, a more formal one, if you will. Um, and I felt that his puck tracking was off last season. It seems a lot better now. His reflexes seem a lot faster. And I know he battled a lot of injuries last year. So there's definitely, there's a, like the physical aspect of that um, is, is due to some of the injuries that he's had uh, and being overworked. And I still feel that he's being overworked this season. I believe we talked about it in our last episode. Uh, he's playing, he's being played too many games, but he's still bringing it every single game. Like he's still dialed in. Uh, and unfortunately, he's allowing a lot of goals because, you know, the Canadians aren't really giving him an opportunity to see a lot of pucks sometimes. And the, a lot of the times the defensive breakdowns are what causes it or being hemmed in their zone for too long or, you know, things like that, where it's not really Jake Allen's fault. So you look at his numbers and they're not great, you know, especially his goals against average right now. And then you look at or sorry, his safe percentage right now. But then you look at what's going on around him and then you look at the individual saves and they're all high quality saves. They're all high quality like reflexes. They're, it, like his reaction time is really great as well. So I really do think that this is kind of like it sucks for him uh, because his numbers are terrible now. But like this is what we want, you know, like this is this is we want the Canadians to lose the games. We want we want them to learn lessons in their own end. We want them to see how dire the situation is so they'll come up with the personnel and the strategy and the coaching to combat that. But I just feel bad for Jake Allen because he's kind of being sacrificed <laughs> in all of this. Yeah, I, I totally feel you there. And I think one thing that kind of makes people struggle with evaluating goaltending performance is goaltending has changed a lot in like a very short amount of time. Like when Carey Price was winning the Hart Trophy, the average save percentage was 915 in the league. This year it's 904, right? So like Jake Allen had a 909 save percentage tonight, 90.9% flat. Cause it's not bad. It's not bad, but it doesn't sound good, right? In our minds, you want like a 915 to 920 to be like, oh, that was a good game. But then you parse it a little bit closer and you look at like in all situations, the LA Kings uh, had 4.71 goals expected and scored four. One of them's the empty net. So Allen saved 0.71 goals above expected, which again, doesn't sound amazing, but it's still above expected. And he's got a save percentage above league average. So like we're getting into the range of, it's now gone from like a, a decent performance, to like a good performance. And I feel like the more we parsed it, we looked at like passes, which aren't public data, uh, like pre-shot movement where uh, shots are placed. We'd probably be seeing like, this was a really spectacular game from Jake Allen. And I feel like he's had a lot of those on the Montreal Canadians where the numbers at the end of the day don't show how good he's been. And I feel like 
the fans though do appreciate him. I, I feel like there's a, it's one of those things where you kind of appreciate how educated the Montreal Canadiens fan base is in general, because even without something to back it up, I think people see what Jake Allen is bringing to the table and in general appreciate him quite a bit. I absolutely agree with you there. And and it, it has been interesting actually, because there's been a lot, you know, you and I both interact a lot with Canadians fans on the internet and it's not always a joy, right? And there's always people that they want to run out of town, but Jake Allen has not been one of them since he's been here. There have been the odd people saying, you know, he's got value, so let's get value in return for him. But nobody's really want, wanting him out, wanting him gone, thinking he sucks. You know, he's had a lot of um, sympathy and empathy for the context in which he's playing, right? Whether last year it was the bad injury luck, it was kind of a, you, he said it himself, a nightmare season. Uh, or, you know, this year with just, you know, playing behind a team where defensively they're just not strong. So I think, you know, it's like you said, Canadians fans, when they want to be, can be educated AF. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm on the record as loving Jake Allen and, you know, he seems like a really deserving guy of success. So I just, I feel bad because you look at, you know, his win loss or whatever, or, or the save, even the save percentages and, or the goals against average and whether like, you know, it's, it, it's underlying numbers or just like straight up, just, you know, eye test. It doesn't usually look good on paper, but you look at it specifically, you look at the specific plays, you, you, you track it more closely. And it's very much like you said, like he's not getting enough credit for how good he's been. It's true. And like, he's also team dad. Right now that uh, Shea Weber's gone, he's like the old timer that keeps everybody together and everybody <laughs> seems to love him. There's that off ice impact, you know, that we I feel like everyone wants to credit guys like Joel Edmondson with, but we rarely talk about how much Jake Allen is that stabilizing presence as well in the Canadians locker room and how he's allowing those kids to make mistakes. But uh, you brought puck tracking earlier and I'm glad you did because that was also an issue with Sam Montembeau last season. And also, like, clearly he had an injury to worry about that was hampering his game uh, for most of the season as well, that he was playing through as, like, a special favor to the Canadians because they didn't have <laughs> anyone else who could fill the net and <laughs> saving Caden Primo's poor soul by not letting him stick in the NHL too much longer. But uh, he has been puck tracking way better this season. And I have a theory, and I'm only going to say theory. I'll say hypothesis because I've done no research to back it up whatsoever. But I think the Canadians this year are not fronting as much because the defensemen that they have in their employ are not all clones of Sherratt, Edmondson, Savard, etc. So there's a little bit less in the way for the goalies this year. It's chaotic in the defensive zone. Don't get me wrong. They're not great. But I think the way that they defend is a little bit more modern than the last couple of years. And that helps the goalies in the end. Because I remember in the playoffs, even on that Stanley Cup run, if you remember, like uh, Carey Price's high danger save percentage in the playoffs was something like it was absurd. It was like 95% going into the finals. It was like unheard of. But his save percentage on the perimeter was like way below because he kept on getting beat by like these point shots. Like remember the Vegas series? And all the goals were like Petrangelo sniping from the blue line, and he just like couldn't find the puck. I feel like that style of defense, 
opens up goaltenders to those weak goals. And we're not seeing that as much this year. It's more like the fluke goals that go in and then like great scoring chances is what, what's beating Montebo and, and uh, Allen. And that's part of why we're like, well, you know, can't blame the goalies because how are they going to save all those? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's totally fair. And, you know, to draw from that, just look at the penalty kill, right? Like tonight on the, on the broadcast, they were saying, you know, the Canadians penalty kill has been on and off. And I was like, it's miles better than it used to be. You know, you're looking at the season's penalty kill and it looks like it physically looks better than it used to be. And I think it's it's just the fact that the defensemen that they're playing are different. And obviously, you know, they want these players to kind of get better at defense. The people that are put that they're putting in there, their personnel that's there right now, um, obviously is an improvement upon last year. But you just look at the way that they kill penalties and penalties, um, and it seems a lot more aggressive and it seems a lot more dynamic than it used to be. And again, this could this could be recency bias on my part. I haven't actually looked at the numbers or done a video analysis. That's you know for people way smarter than me to do. But it just the penalty kill just doesn't kill my soul anymore. <laughs> and the power play still does. Yeah. <laughs> but the penalty kill, like, and you look at that and you're like, okay, like whatever better habits that they're, you know, and again, like you, you alluded to, like the personnel that they utilize is so much better, right? But whatever little habits that they're teaching these defensemen, overall, it's still not great, but it is better. It is getting better. You look at it and you're like, okay, there's a little bit of hope because they might not have the right people in place right now, but or even the right strategy in place right now, but at least they're trying and at least they're experimenting and at least they have ideas and strategies and hopefully eventually they'll have an identity that it's a good defensive team. Yeah. Ian Bovere in the comments says that they used to give up a bumper goal a game on the PK before. And I remember that it was, they were so vulnerable to like the behind the goal line pass out to the bumper. They like couldn't fathom that somebody would use the space behind the net to create a goal. And, you know, you mentioned the power play not still killing your soul <laughs> as opposed to the penalty kill. And, you know, a lot of the penalty kill definitely has to do with a little bit with the goaltenders. But the power play, I will say there's one thing that they have improved that hasn't really had much of an effect overall somehow is the last couple of years. Do you remember how frustrating it used to be to watch them try to gain the zone? Mm -hmm. It was like 80% of every power play was trying, trying to gain to the zone. And now on the top unit, you've got Caulfield, Suzuki, and Doc, and when he's in the lineup, Matheson, who can gain the zone with relative ease. And on the second unit, less impressive, but they seem to be able to get in there, right? Whether it's Hoffman on the second unit or like Josh Anderson sometimes just like winds up and does his skate to nowhere, but it, it creates an <laughs> entry. You know, yes. he, he doesn't get the puck on net or anything, but at least he gets it in the, in the, in the zone. So there's like little incremental improvements that you can latch on to and, and see what's being built in Montreal, but uh, unfortunately not a match for the Kings. And there was a question here from Kay in the comments asking about the kids on D maybe running out of steam a little bit. And I, I want to touch on that because it's around the time that that really kind of does start to happen to rookies. But before I do, I got to tell everyone to watch while they're watching here, please like the video. Uh, YouTube changed their algorithm algorithm recently, and it's punishing live videos. It's making it real tough for people to find our streams here just by floating around YouTube being a Habs fan. So giving us a like commenting on the stream, all that helps commenting after the streams over on the actual YouTube video also helps sharing the video really helps, especially on your social media or uh, with your friends in real life. If you say, hey, 
check out this Game Over Montreal stuff. Or if they're fans of another Canadian team, check out one of our other Game Overs because uh, they're fantastic too. It really helps. And as I say every episode, you here in the comments or watching live, you are part of the show. That's why we refer to you. You know, we enjoy chatting with you and you bring stuff to the show that we may not have thought of, right? You kind of direct the conversation in a lot of ways. So, you know, be a part of the show. Help us grow together. The more, the merrier. All right. The Montreal Canadiens defense. I think what we're seeing right now, and you're obviously free to disagree with me, Laura. Jordan Harris, I think, is struggling more with the whole going in and out of the lineup thing. Kovacevic as well, a little bit, but less. And Arbor Xhaka is just like, whatever, uh, every minute I get, I'm going to try to kill somebody and shoot the puck <laughs> through a wall into the net. And he he's kind of like simplified his game in a way to just stay in the lineup. And the other guys, I think, are, are struggling a bit. And Caden Gooley, you know, he's carrying Edmondson now, and that, that's no easy thing to do. But tonight, I thought Caden Gooley was phenomenal. Probably his best game since he, you know, went head to head with Sidney Crosby against Pittsburgh. That the, his face when the third goal went in, I felt so bad for him because, unfortunately, that's what people are going to remember, and not all of the other things. So I want to shout K out, obviously, because you know uh, we love Caden Gooley, um, and I think you hit the nail right on the head. He's carrying Edmondson now. And it's like, it feels like, who is it this time? You know what I mean? And that is a really tough assignment to put on a rookie defender as good as he is. And every day he gives me reason to believe that he's way better than we thought, even at the beginning of this season. Forget about when he was drafted. Like we, we've already talked about how wrong we were then. Now, like even at the beginning of the season, I was like, yeah, they might send him down to Laval to get more minutes. You know, like I, I knew he would make the team. We all knew he would make the team. But that you, the whole idea that he would stay here this long, not only that, but you would give him these insane assignments. Like, it's just like, I'm so impressed with him. But unfortunately, what it's doing is often overshadowing the good that he's bringing because he's covering up for something or, you know, whoever it is that he's dragging around just can't keep up with him. And so sometimes you'll like, look at the numbers and you'll be like, he doesn't deserve these numbers. He deserves much better. But I think you were right like tonight and and i felt so bad because like that's that's the, the look on his face like that that little like that that that's that clip of him just like skating by and and i was just like poor guy like like that amazing game that you had and like that's the highlight i mean at least highlight? he responded by creating the goal that kind of lit the fire right he he right. had the zone entry he had that nice little pass between stick and skates which is like i, I I love when players do that when they can create space by finding the holes in a defender. Right. And they just slip it through a spot where they just don't have a chance to stop that puck going through to Dadnov, And then, you know, finding Hoffman up high, which it, it was a great little play from all three of them uh, to set that up. And, you know, Gooley, like the fact that he doesn't let that stuff affect him the next shift I think it just continues to speak to his maturity and his readiness as an NHL player. Obviously, the numbers are not great, you know, between trying to carry Savard or trying to carry Edmondson and playing first line minutes. Like, he's just, he's not Owen Power. He's not that level of prospect, even if we think maybe one day he could be a first pairing defenseman. He's just in, for lack of a better term, he's in the shit right now, right? Like, yeah. he's just trying to slog, slog through 
the worst possible situation for a young player to be dropped into the NHL in. And he's, for the most part, flying through it. And that's great. And just think about this. Just think about how it's going to be when he's liberated, right? Like when he has a line mate that can match his hockey IQ and his foot speed. Just think about that. And it's just like, I'm so excited for that. I hope the Canadians find that whether they trade for it or draft or whatever it is, like maybe the person's in the, in the, in the pipeline right now. Don't, don't start in the comments. No, the answer is no. They'll find this person, right? They will either draft <laughs> this person or trade for this person. Do not start. I think they already think, I think no. they have them, Laura is the thing. No, they don't. No, they I, don't. I think they do because listen, the other thing we have to keep in mind with Gooley right now is he's playing his offside. With Edmondson, right? He's playing on the right. So who is a left defenseman that is, you know, incredible offensively, that could complement Gooley perfectly, who seems, you know, maybe a a couple years away, who's setting records in the NCAA right now, named Lane Hudson, who the Montreal Canadiens took in the last draft. Lane Hudson, Kane Gooley, first pairing. That you can do in the comments, okay? (laughs) Everyone knows who I was saying no to. But that, that was the thing is that I always thought of, like, and I think the problem with, with, with Lane Hudson, too, is that, like, he's putting up all these numbers as a second-pairing defenseman in the NCAA. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, he's going to come to the Canadians. He's going to be a second-pairing defenseman. Like, mm. But, you know, we all want to see, like, the, the small and the tall, right? Like, the small like, and the tall. It's going to be so good. And if it does happen, like, it's going to be incredible, right? But again, like once they find whoever it is, if, if Lane Hudson grows into that person, you know that, you know, he's in my mind, the number one prospect, like he's my favorite, not the number one, my favorite prospect uh, in the Montreal Canadiens pipeline right now. If that happens, like I'm going to be so excited. But even if they don't, if they find somebody who's halfway decent to play with Caden Gooley instead of somebody who's either aging or too slow or not the same style of defenseman, like a shutdown defenseman, I think for me, it's like you have to be, you can't just be one thing anymore in the NHL. You have to be both things yeah. to whatever extent it is, right? Like, and you have to be the Kane Gooley style where he was drafted and he was a shutdown defenseman at the time and he grew his offensive game to the best of his ability. And is he ever going to be a Kale McCart type player? No, but he did everything he could to be the best version of himself. And that's what I love about Caden Gooley. And you bring up Lane Hudson. Like, that's the kind of player that I'm looking at right now. Like, Lane Hudson seems like the kind of guy who's going to do that kind of work, right? Owen Beck is another one. He's not a defenseman, but he's he's the kind of player in my mind that, like, I will do the work that it takes to be the best version of myself. Like, even if I'm not the best at this whatever thing, I'm good enough at all the other things that I'm bringing this up to speed. It's kind of like the Kirby Doc face-offs thing, right? Like he needs to work on them. And if he does work on them, he's going to become a much better rounded second, you know, second line center on a good team or whatever you want to say. So with Caden Gooley, like once he gets liberated, like I just, I can't wait for the possibilities. And if it's the tall and the small pairing, like that to me is going to bring me so much joy. It'll be like me and Scott, like we're the tall and the small on a podcast. <laughs> it'll be Lane Hudson and Caden Gooley on the ice. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I don't know if this reference flies anymore, because I know that Game of Thrones kind of killed that fan base a little bit, but if anybody is watching that read all of the like A Song of Ice and Fire novels and all of the like side novellas, if Lane Hudson makes it and plays with Caden Gooley, we could also call them Dunkin' Egg, because those little <laughs> novellas were great. But uh, yeah, Caden Gooley really impressed me tonight. Um the game also turned on a play with Caden Gooley. Not his fault, though. In the first period, 
he's kind of breaking the puck out, and Carl Grundstrom steps into him with a knee, a brutal knee. I, I would say knee on thigh is is what it looked like to me. I, I only watched the replay once. Thankfully, it was not a knee on knee. Yeah, luckily. Right? And right after that, two shifts after, or two or three shifts after that, two nothing Kings. So brutal missed call by the refs. And <clears throat> listen, I'm not saying that the Canadians would have won the game based on the way the Kings were playing if that call was made, but those two goals wouldn't have existed, right? Maybe different goals would have, but uh, that kind of non-call is pretty rough. But the nice thing to note after that is the very next shift when Caden Gooley, well, the same shift when Caden Gooley went off the ice, a certain jackhammer noticed who made that hit, and when Carl Grunstrom tried to make a breakout of his own, uh, Jack Guy leveled him, like, through the ice. That was so good. So sad. That was so good. Like, he's sitting there keeping score. He's sitting on the bench just, like, taking notes, like, in the office meme with uh, BJ Novak, like, yep. just writing down the notes. That's that's Arbor Jack Guy right now, and it's so good. And I can't, like, you know, if he, if he just continues to do this in this lost season, I'll be so happy. <laughs> I think that's what everyone wants, right? He's... He's the guy that's already the folk hero, and the more he does that, the more of a folk hero he'll become. And I hope he continues to grow his game because he's clearly shown that he has more to it than that. But keep doing that kind of stuff because it's very fun, and we all want to see it. And it's very satisfying to see a guy sticking up for their teammates. You know, I think a lot of people were endeared to Chris Weidman last year because he continued to stick up for teammates, even though he's like 5'9 and 150 pounds soaking wet. But he kept on jumping into fights, you know, trying to go after Mark Shifley for hitting Jake Evans the season before when Wyman wasn't even on the team. The you coward know, Mark Shifley. The coward Mark that Shifley, is legal of name. course. Although <clears throat> he did have some funny comments this week about uh, Paul Maurice when Maurice made his return <laughs> to Winnipeg. But Heartbreaking. I, the worst person you know made a great point. <laughs> right. But like, what did Maurice do that made him so mad? Did he score an empty net goal? <laughs> So anyway, fuck Mark Shifley. Um, continuing on, I never thought that I would say this, but I was glad to see Mike Hoffman tonight. He was, he was honestly, in his return, he was good. He was great. You know, I thought him and Dadanov had some good chemistry going. Uh, Dvorak was there. That's pretty <laughs> usual. <laughs> but, Dvorak uh, existed. Yeah, but that line, <clears throat> I think you could argue, was the Canadiens' best this tonight and a lot of that had to do with with mike hoffman who i think was playing his best hockey as a montreal canadian before he got hurt and doesn't seem to have missed a beat and i i will say like yeah eventually they they're gonna trade him but uh, the price of hoff just went up yeah that's the thing also i found this out i tweeted about it the nhl trade deadline for whatever reason is on a friday this year yeah what's with that <clears throat> it's I, I guess they always want to make it March 3rd. I just always assumed that it was a Monday, right? Like it was It's a usually Monday. a Monday. It's almost always yeah. a Monday. This time it's a Friday, which is like it's just throwing my entire like everything off right now. But yeah, like I think the closer we get to the trade deadline, like like we talked about last last episode, like together, was you know, the market is just gonna improve because right now the market is in the toilet. Like nobody really has that much value, but the closer some teams get to the playoffs and and the, the more uh, you know, people see the need for players like this, the more people have faith in their own own team, you know, the higher these prices are going to go. And we know, if nothing, 
Kent Hughes is always on the phones. He's always working mm-hmm. the phones. He was probably doing that as an agent. He's continuing to do that as a GM. So, like, I'm confident that, you know, we know that he knows the value of his, of his players. He knows what he wants for each player. And he knows what's the right situation for him to actually pull the trigger on a trade. So, I think, you know, I have a lot of faith in this. But I think we're going to see Mike Hoffman for, you know, a couple of months longer, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... With the way he's playing, and like the goals are good, right? It, it's it's nice to see Hoffman producing, <clears throat> but more than that, he's playing effective hockey, and I think that's what's going to boost his tradeability. Is that last year there were stretches where he would score goals, but you watch him with the puck and he was just atrocious. And the start of the year was like that too, where like every time you had the puck, he did that like weird pass thing where at the end of the pass he curls his stick and instead of going to the person it's like why is it 30 feet that way behind the play like you're at the blue line and you pass backwards like on a power play mike what you doing and he did have a bad pass tonight with the net empty but the canadians like can we can we disagree the canadians are terrible with the net empty like they are sorry i think it's because there's a man it's atrocious It's like whenever they have a one man advantage. Like, yeah, they can't do it. They're like, they can't uh, do it. give it to the other team. <laughs> and it's in all situations, right? Four on three, <laughs> you know, power play, whatever, like empty net. They're just, they just don't know what to do when there's an extra, extra dude on the ice. And it's just like, maybe you just empty the net and just don't put someone on there. They just play five on five, but with, with the net empty. Yeah, it's just, uh, and there's a commenter here, Daniel Clark Bouchard, saying, did I watch the same game? How was Mike Hoffman good? He turned the puck over at the most critical time. Everyone on the Canadians turns the puck over with the net empty. That's the thing. Like, I can't find it in myself to blame him because whether when he was gone, when he was out, every time they had an empty net, they did the same stuff. So that's not even, like, I can't blame Mike Hoffman for that. And during the actual game, when most of the team was struggling, Mike Hoffman's line was playing great hockey. So I'm not going to focus on the one mistake. That is just not the way to analyze this kind of team in general, in my opinion. And it's for me, when you're looking at a team in a rebuild, you can't miss the forest for the trees. Yes. Right? And if we ignore what Mike Hoffman's been doing well because of like one mistake in a game that really like they should lose anyway... They got lucky to get back into. I mean, look, the Cole Caulfield goal was great, but that's a 0.5% shot, if not less. Yeah. And no, for me, I'm like, you know, a, a losing game with Cole Caulfield scoring a goal, padding his total. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're round about the time. Like, you know, every week in the mailbag, somebody asks us, do you think this team will finish in the bottom five? Do you think this team will finish in the bottom five? And then I look at what's there and I'm like, well, maybe not, but like, I don't think that they're going to finish like 17th or 20th or whatever it is that they are now, you know, like, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I, I see them dropping. I see, you know, a top seven, top eight draft pick for them. I just don't see them like sinking so low to be in the bottom five, really, just because everybody that's probably going to be there is much worse than there. Like your Arizona's, your Anaheim's, your, you know, even, 
I mean, I'm not going to say Ottawa, obviously. They're going to climb themselves out of a hole, but hopefully still miss a playoff spot. <laughs> That's my hope. <laughs> you know, that, that, that like, really t- terrible kind of, like, middle place where, like, their draft pick isn't great, but also they miss the playoffs. Like, that's what I want for Ottawa. That's <clears> what I eternally wish upon Ottawa. Uh, but I, I just, I, like, the Canadians, like, they, they need to start losing games. And I'm not actively rooting for losses. I'm actively rooting for fun games that yes. might end up as losses. Right. This game and was not that. The way I look at it is like, <clears throat> if the Canadians get to overtime, I want them to win because that's fun, right? Winning a big game where you, you get it to overtime, that's hype and you get everybody, everybody's happy. You know, you watch that extra time, you get something out of it. But in games like this, where it's like pretty unlikely you're going to tie it up anyway, I'm like, don't, don't tie. <laughs> Just let me start the show. We'll talk about the loss. The Canadians can get a, a better pick. Everyone will be happy. I know some people want to see wins still every game, but at the same time, like there's got to be a balance. And this team, the way that they're playing, they're gonna lose more than they win down the stretch here. I know they're only thirteen and four, or I guess it's thirteen and fifteen now. But you know, or no, no, it is thirteen and fourteen. Man, they are surprisingly good. Surprisingly good that this deep into the season, they're barely below five hundred in terms of like full on win percentage not just win like points percentage but in order to get to the bottom five laura they need to be passed by seven teams those teams include the vancouver canucks the buffalo sabers uh, st louis blues ottawa senators philadelphia that's not happening i don't think san jose maybe uh they've been a lot better than their record shows but like arizona columbus chicago i I feel like the the bottom four yeah the bottom four is not moving in my opinion arizona columbus chicago anaheim they're all going to be bottom five uh outside of that i could see ottawa passing them down the stretch buffalo maybe well vancouver yeah they're seven and three the last ten then vancouver's also only one point behind them i think nashville will definitely pass them but like st louis is a mess philadelphia is philadelphia Right, but there's the Tortorella factor where he gets the most out of the least, right? So yeah, they could pass the Canadians. I mean, for me, like I said, I don't get, I, I don't have my hopes up for like Connor Bedard or Fantilli at all. Uh, but I, I want to see, I want to see a top like top ten at the very least. Top yeah. seven is what I'm aiming for. That's yeah, and Trisek says Andrew might cheer for losses because that's what you used to from last season. It's okay, man. Break the cycle. Listen, I'm not. I'm never gonna cheer for a loss for for the Montreal Canadiens, even in times where like I have not liked the team. I don't cheer for losses because it's just I don't know. It's, it just feels douchey to do. I cheer for entertainment, but at the end of the day, for the future of the organization, it is important that they finish in a lottery position this year. Not in terms of like it has to be bottom five, but in a position to move up. And luckily they have the Florida Panthers who might give them a decent second pick in the first round here to uh, facilitate moving up in the draft. I think they need one of those top players in this draft by hook or by crook from Kent Hughes to really set the table to be a competitive team uh, moving forward. Because there's teams that they have to pass that are also entering their competitive windows, even though it looks like crap right now, like the Buffalo Sabres have a ton of great young players. The Ottawa Senators have a ton of great young players. Those are teams you're going to have to be in a dogfight with for the next 10 years. And you've still got to contend with 
the somehow still good Boston Bruins and the Leafs and the Detroit Red Wings, who are now like on the other side of their rebuild or getting closer to it. Haven't even mentioned Tampa Bay, who I'm sure will find a way to continue being great. It's it's an uphill grind in this division. So the Canadians need something to put them over the edge. Yeah, and I know, you know, we're running out of time. Like this episode is flying by, but there's just so much to talk about. But somebody today, and again, I didn't look into it, so I'm so sorry for not crediting the right person, but somebody had put together something saying this division is like the toughest one in the NHL. And I truly believe that. Even for like, you know, there's like, you look at it and you're like teams that you're expected to be bottom or you're used to hearing as bottom feeders, right? Right? Like your Ottawa's, your Buffalo's, your Detroit's, like even those teams are on the way up. Uh, you know, Montreal is, is a team that like, you know, has generally not been great in the last decade. Let's let's be totally honest. You know, sure. that Stanley Cup final run notwithstanding. So like you're used to hearing these teams and then you look at like who else is there and you're like, OK, Boston perennial contender, Tampa perennial contender, Toronto perennial disappointment. You know, like there's all these like there's all these teams that like they have to be better than. And and not only that, like you think about all these teams, they have to be better than. And then you look at like, you know, the the amazing teams in all these other divisions that should they get to the playoffs? Like these are these are who they're going to have to contend with. It's a tough road for Montreal. But I think the fact that, you know, other teams are kind of in their windows or approaching their windows and Montreal has like two to three years to go. I feel like the timing will assist them if they play their cards right. Yes. And that's why I think people who uh, think that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton are going to try to rush this rebuild are just very foolish. I don't think there's any rush in their minds whatsoever. I think they see exactly what we're laying out here in the fact that this division is going to be an absolute meat grinder for the next decade. And like, yeah, eventually the Bruins and the lightning are going to fall off, but like how deep Right? are they going to be bad teams? Or are they just going to be like non playoff teams because the division is so good, but they're still extreme, extremely tough to play against. You're like Charlie McAvoy is not old. He's still going to be there to fight with in, uh, in Boston and probably injure guys. Cause he's dirty as hell. You know, like there's going to be stuff to fight with. Um, What's this? Uh, somebody saying Dangle's happy because uh, the Leafs won in overtime. I mean, he'd be happier if his dog didn't break his nose. His dog broke. Okay, who has the broken nose? I saw these tweets. The dog has the broken nose. Or no, Steve, Steve has the broken nose. Steve. Steve was playing tug of war with his dog Iggy while laying on the ground, and I'm not sure exactly what happened, but somehow Iggy like lunged into Steve. And broke his nose right here. So Steve has a broken nose. Steve has a broken nose. I yeah. saw the tweets. I saw an, what looked like an x-ray, but I couldn't tell from where I was sitting. Uh, mostly because I was like speed scrolling. I couldn't tell whose nose was. And then I saw broken nose tweets and people replying to him. And so, you know, get well soon, Steve. <laughs> yep. He's gonna. He told me he's going to record the LFR tonight in a one-taker. Cause that's all he has the energy. Does he for. have like a little like bandage up his nose? Like, yeah. like stuck up. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if he had the uh, full on hockey way to do like the tampon in there, yeah. but he had something up his nose. I was, I was FaceTiming him during the first intermission, seeing how he was doing, but uh, he'll survive. He looks a little bit swollen right now. He, he's not quite in a, <clears throat> like he's not Colby Armstrong or anything. <clears throat> so he's all right. I- I fell off my bike once and I didn't break my nose, but for whatever reason, the bruising and swelling was so big that like I went to school 
and like they literally sent me home and they're like we don't believe that her nose is is not broken can you send her again for an x-ray because like I just and it was like one of those where, where I braked and then I just like went head over the handlebars and like landed straight on my face and it was just like it was like literally like swollen all the way here it was so bad anyway i i like feel so much sympathy for steve but it it wasn't broken thankfully you could see it's like it's still you know in its original shape (laughs) yeah he was saying that uh breaking your nose during covid is a lot less fun because he had to sit in the hospital for like five hours with a mask on like bleeding into the mask oh yeah doesn't sound cool uh this is not the first time he's broken his nose no i mean because you still have to wear a mask in the hospital right it's like one of the only places oh right well everywhere yeah. else sorry you can't blame me for not knowing that this is true i mean i've had to go but yeah um ian Bover says uh, he should record the next few podcasts in a full cage i saw a tweet actually that said that he should use the uh, the nba thing the plastic face shield oh my god that's with, so funny. like the strap on the back that'd be great but uh yeah enough about steve he gets enough attention um <laughs> <laughs> i feel like yes, there was something i would else- like that attention before we go, let's touch quick on Carrie Price because I talked about it at the beginning, and it would be weird to not come full circle on it. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say basically what I said on uh, the Hockey Inside Out show from earlier this week, and Laura, you tell me where you feel as well. But basically, what I said was, I think there's a lot of layers to this, and too many people are seeing it as binary. I think that Carrie Price made a huge mistake. Uh, number one in the timing which I know he's saying that he can't control because of the bill is coming out, blah, blah, blah. But also in the fact that he was deceived because the gun he was using in that picture, it's not being banned and they're not coming for hunting because that's not real. They're coming for certain guns that have the capacity to be semi-auto. And the fact is, if you're a gun owner and you've legally purchased a gun and it's going on the banned list, they're going to buy it back. I'm sorry, too bad. Buy a different gun. It might be a little bit frustrating, but only gun fetishists freak out about this kind of stuff. The other thing is, Carey Price is indigenous, so I don't believe this even applies to him. And associating with the CCFR, not a wise choice. I know that he is into this stuff, but the whole using poly as a discount code to you know clap back at the survivors and victims of the polytechnic massacre on twitter who had criticized the ccfr a few weeks earlier i don't believe carrie price knew about that just because i really apologize for having to clear my throat constantly it's ridiculous it's blue and cold season and you have two young children yes but i apologize it makes for terrible listening but Basically, I don't believe Price knew about that just because I know enough about his character that I don't think that he would purposely try to harm people in that way. It doesn't excuse him from what he did, but I think the histrionics around it of like, oh, he needs to like be disavowed by the Montreal Canadiens, this, this, and that, it's really stupid and disintegrates the entire conversation but the whole disconnect between him and the canadians on what he knew about the polytechnic massacre and then what he said after the miscommunication there in my opinion is that he didn't know the anniversary was coming up but he knew about the event and somehow it got interpreted as he didn't know about the event which 
I think everyone when it first came out called bullshit on because he's lived here for 15 years and how could he not? Like it just seems nonsensical. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt there, even if maybe it's not earned, just based on what I know, what he does for kids, what he does for indigenous kids, how much he cares about people in general, that I just don't think that he would time it that way on purpose. But, big but, his statements so far are not enough. I think he needs to come out and say with his words not in the text that he disavows the CCFR because saying, oh, I disagree with that is not a disavowal. I saw some folks on Twitter and other social media saying it was. It's not. It's very soft. So I think he needs to do that. But as far as people being like, oh, this destroys his legacy as a Montreal Canadian. Come on, folks. It was stupid and insensitive. And he bears a responsibility to not spread misinformation on a giant platform. He should apologize for that. But I think it gets a little bit crazy. And I know there was one guy on Twitter who kind of went viral saying that they should like kick him out of the country. And I was like, dude, you're talking about kicking an indigenous person out of the country and you're very clearly white. Walk it back. Just everybody calm down a little bit. Like price definitely owes an apology to the victims and the survivors. And he owes basically all of us a disavowal of CCFR just because, you know, he is a public personality and he spread misinformation in their name. But I also think that he didn't write that post. I think he was given that post by the CCFR, which I believe he's been associated with for a very long time, but uh, he should rethink it. Yeah. So I mostly agree with everything you just said. There's a couple of things that I want to add is that organize organizations like that that's how they operate they will find somebody who cares about a cause yep whip them up into a frenzy usually with misinformation and then get them on their side and it's a person with visibility that lends them credibility and that's what they did and this is like it's it's not just carrie price it's not he's not the first person this happens to just think of any well-known or famous person that associates with an organization gets told of their history and has to walk it back and disavow or, or, you know, just disassociate themselves and stuff like that. So it's not the first time that it happens. I think Carrie Price should have known better. Yep. I think part of the thing is that like the messaging becomes, you know, there's a lot of nuance to this. Exactly. Like you said, like they're not going after hunting. Like they're not going after a hunting rifle. They're going after something that could be semi-automatic. That I think is like, you know, I'm not saying I personally don't like guns. Right. But like I'm saying, like, we have to move to responsible gun ownership, which I believe is 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 preferable to just, you know, worshiping guns like they do in the United States. Like I I don't you know, I I don't foresee, you know, a future where there's never going to be any guns. But I do think having responsible gun ownership with registries, with like giving you access to only, you know, to hunting guns and things like that. Like, I think that's that's a reasonable compromise between people like Carrie Price and people like myself. Right. I I would love to see no guns, but it's exactly like you said, like they're buying it back, all of that kind of stuff. Like, so you have to read the bills carefully. And I think like that's the problem with a lot of political stances right now is that like the messaging becomes they're going to come to your house. They're going to knock on the door. They're going to break down the door. They're going to take the gun out of your cold, dead hands. 
like the whatever his name Wayne Lapierre from the NRA used to say, like for my cold dead hands. Like that's that's the image that that this invokes. And like, yes, there are some issues with the bill that have been brought to light and that need to be discussed. But I think that at the end of the day, you can't say that, you know, Justin Trudeau is personally going to come and like pry the gun out of your hand. And like, we have to stand up for this because, you know, that's like that. And that's the way that it gets framed to people. And then that's the way that you get a celebrity to kind of like go on with your cause and agree to take the words that you wrote and put it on there instagram and then like this whole thing happens i don't think that this harms carrie price's montreal canadians legacy or you know canadian goaltender legacy in any way i just think he did a thing that was extremely ill-advised and that he now has to pay the consequences of it and the consequences of it is that now we think a little less of him as a person and i think that's fine and i think that you know the thing with the 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 massacre the polytechnic massacre and the montreal canadians and all of that stuff is that the Montreal Canadiens, first of all, need to get their story straight with their player before they start like s- releasing statements in their name uh, or about them or whatever. So like that's a PR fail. But also when you have a player get drafted into this organization, you need to tell them about the city, about this history and about the things that you need to care about. You take your players to both of the children's hospitals every single year. I, I believe multiple times, too, because that is a cause that is important to the city. You learn what's important to the city, right? Like the the rinks, the, the outdoor rinks that the Canadians will show up at and play at, like all these things, like you're, you're sort of building them into the fabric of the city. You kind of have to tell them about the bad stuff too, because otherwise they'll go out and do something like this that looks profoundly insensitive when really it was just ill-advised. And so, yeah. you know, the Canadians bear that responsibility. Like one of the things like, and again, I know that there was a lot of talk about under Mark Bergevin, e- like even like, you know, the, the communication with the families of the, of the players wasn't that great. And, you know, Jeff Gordon came in and wanted to change all of that. I think this is a huge teachable moment where like now as part of the organization, when you bring a family into Montreal, you bring a player into Montreal, you educate them about what not to do or say like it's not just about oh will you learn a few words of french it's about like the history of the city and and why things are the way they are so in terms of carrie price like the just the people like just just you know (laughs) he needs to get out of this country like it is his country like we're the ones (laughs) that are interlopers here um you know so just like the, the the histrionics are a little bit uh are a little bit too um I, I don't know, like too gratuitous. I think people just like kind of jumped on this, right? Like they're like, oh, I can't wait to like, you know, beat up on Carrie Price. And I I think Carrie Price like really needs to rethink the way that he handles his associations. Like you said, he's been associated with this organization for a long time. But like he needs to do some critical thinking. He does. And yeah. <clears throat> you know, uh Kay brought up Edmondson's comments, which I thought were possibly somehow even worse. In saying like, oh, we don't really know anything about what happened 30 years ago. And in trying to back up his teammate, Carey Price, he threw the organization under the bus, right? Because that's exactly what you're talking about. Like we talk about, uh, you know, players learning a little bit of French to become part of like the cultural fabric of the city. But it's so much more than that to become a a citizen of Montreal, a citizen of Quebec, to to understand the history. And... The Canadians are a cultural institution. They're not just a hockey team. So that idea of like you clock in at the beginning of the day and you clock out at the end of the day and that's it. That attitude doesn't work to be a Montreal Canadian. And if you want to have that attitude, I don't think you're cut out to 
be a Montreal Canadian, and that would make it harder to win Stanley Cups, but <clears throat> you've got to be a citizen here. You've got to understand the, some of the history. You don't need to be like intimate knowledge, right? But you have to have sensitivity to certain issues. You've got to understand some level of the politics of where you live. It's the same anywhere, right? So to be an active citizen as opposed to just a person who's doing a job, I think that's where, aside from building a good hockey team, we hope that Gorton and Hughes take this this organization because it's it clearly has failed in, in many, many capacities over the last who knows how long. You know, like this is just one exposure that we've seen, right? This could have happened at any point in the last 30 years. We don't know, right? So there, there's that to learn. It's a learning moment, as you said, a teachable moment. Um, there was uh, a couple comments here that I wanted to look at, but I don't know. I've lost them now. But um, I just, yeah, like there's just one thing that I do want to say, though, like to draw from that is that that's not optional when you play for a historic organization. Like yeah. whether it is the New York Yankees, whether it is the Boston Red Sox, whether it is, you know, the Chicago Bulls even whether it is whoever it is, right? When you were a Montreal Canadian, and there's a few organizations like that in this league. There's the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Even mm-hmm. the Boston Bruins, I'll give them that. The New York Rangers, I'll give them that. Like these historic organizations, like you can't opt out. So, you know, you talk about the pressure to win. I don't think in Montreal, the pressure to win is all that much more than other places, to be honest. Like now. Not anymore. Now, now, right? Like yeah. we're talking about today, 2022, 2023. It's not like it used to be, but there is still pressure to be part of the city. And that's why, you know, the first day after he was drafted or they were drafted, Philip Mayshore and, and Uri Slavkovsky just like hanging around the city, talking to people, all of that, that kind of like, you know, they understand that everywhere they go in the city, they're going to re- be recognized everywhere they go in the city. Like they're part of it, part of it now. Right. And it's the same thing with Carrie Bryce. Like he's part of the history of Montreal. He's literally part of our history now. So that to me, like he's got to fix it. He's got yeah, to fix it. He does. And if he doesn't, like you said, I'll think a little bit less of him. Doesn't ruin his entire legacy to me at all, but I will have a little bit less respect for him. Based I'll like on... him a little less. Yeah, exactly. Just I'd like him to handle it a little bit better than he has so far. Um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Um, the, the comments. Did you find the comments? No, no, I didn't. I got distracted again. I, I just, I just would hope that the Montreal Canadiens see this as something to improve upon. And oh, I was gonna say one thing that did really bother me. You mentioned about how people wanted to jump on him and make it like this big deal. There's this like disconnect, and I don't want to make it about Leafs fans because it's not really, but it also kind of is. That anytime something like this happens about any other team, Leafs fans go absolutely insane on social media. Like, look at this piece of shit. They're a piece of garbage we knew all along. And then you have the whole Morgan Riley incident where there's like 60 Zapruder films, but like, well, actually it's two different players saying two different words. And it just sounds like that. Or, you know, Jack Campbell, who is fully embraced by the Maple Leafs fans as like the premier nice guy in the league, despite the fact that he continually talked about how he was obsessed with Chris Kyle and his book, who was like a virulent racist who was proud of murdering a bunch of Arab people. So like be careful about what kind of hornet's nest you kick because uh, everybody lives in a glass house when it comes to sports fandom. 
So I think before you jump on another team's player and talk about how like that team's fans like gave them a, a soft ride or whatever and like didn't interrogate these things thoroughly, look at your own house a little bit. Because that, that really bothers me about Leafs Twitter, especially like lefty Leafs Twitter, that they they don't really seem to look in their own backyard very often. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna opt out because <laughs> I've you know, it was three one season. Like they truly they bullied me a lot and then they turned it over to bullying Scott and it, it yeah. you know, it was just like a horrible time and I just I look at that and I'm like I I just I don't understand how you can behave this way and how this can be so important to you to like make somebody to like literally bully somebody because they don't like your team and they cheer for the Habs and you know and so like when something like this happens and they whip themselves up into a frenzy it's never surprising to me it just it 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 is astounding to me that you can live such a privileged life that this is something that fills you with rage yeah you know what and, I mean yeah especially once detail has been added and apologies start rolling out and we start to learn more of the story just calm down right and i i understand it for people who are close to the montreal massacre that it's like a lot more raw and that makes sense but for people from outsiders just take a seat let montreal handle it first all right uh, that's our show tonight thank you so much laura you can follow her at the active stick on twitter and you can follow Locked On Canadians, wherever you get your podcasts. a fantastic podcast. Please uh, listen to it and support Laura and our friend Scott. We'll be back on Monday, where commenter tonight Ian Bovere is going to join me, along with Dimitri Filipovich. Yeah, Noel says, nuance, Andrew? None of the outrage? Yeah, nuance. It's fantastic. Everyone should try it out on Twitter. I know it's tough with 240 characters or whatever it is, but just try. All right, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Laura, thanks to you. Miss Saturday night. We'll be there again uh, sometime soon, I'm very sure. Everyone, I'll see you on Monday. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.